What's up, guys? Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast, episode 62. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, RJ Barsh. RJ is the head men's basketball coach at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. Barsh has had a very successful career in basketball, both as a player and a coach. He graduated from Peel High School in 2001 and then moved on to play at Tacoma Community College, where he led the Titans to a 30 and 3 NWAC championship season his first year. After he wrapped up his time on the court, he began his coaching career at University of Puget Sound. As an assistant, he then became the head coach at Lincoln High School for one year, in which he led them to a state Final Four. Following his one-year tenure at Lincoln, he went back to TCC as the head assistant coach and head recruiter, in which he was named a top recruiter on the West Coast. He remained at Tacoma Community College for four years while compiling an impressive average of 25 wins per season. In 2012, he accepted the head coach position at Southeastern University and has since remained there with 109 and 76 total record in a 589 winning percentage with two back-to-back conference titles. Once again, RJ Barsh. Hey guys, welcome back to Master Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Henderson, and the intent of this show is to equip you with the tools to be your best self, to be authentic, to be present, to have a growth mindset. And I had a mentor change my life years ago, and we believe in sharing with you mentors. And isn't it cool that I mentored this dude named R.J. Barsh my senior year at Pialp High School in basketball, this tall sophomore, high (laughs) energy, was like a puppy, just wanted to serve, wanted to get better. And I've always had this kind of like, hey, I'm going to watch this kid. This kid's got something special. And to see him, what he's done in his life, number one, as a husband, Number one, as a human being, but as the head basketball coach at Southeastern University to see what they've done with their culture, with their program. Um, He is a shepherd beyond just basketball. Mm -hmm. I like to ask people, what coach or what leader has changed your life? They raise their hand. I said, did you learn more about your sport or about life? They always say life. And this dude is pouring into people about life. Mm -hmm. What's up with that introduction, RJ? What's up, dude? Man, that was a great introduction. It uh, took me back to right down River Road uh, with, with Carl Henderson. And you was right about mentoring and letting me know how to handle my energy at times. I think I had too high energy in moments, and sometimes uh, I had to, you know, curb it. So you did a good job, definitely, uh, when I was a young pup, for sure. Yeah, I love it. Well, why don't you give us a quick little rundown of what you're doing right now before we start digging into some some content. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about leadership, mindset, culture. So maybe fill in the audience. Well, yeah, Coach R.J. Barson, the head coach at Southeastern University. Just finished my seventh year. Started out in JUCO, did a little high school on the West Coast, and then uh, moved to Florida, uh, with searching for some sun. We've had some tremendous success. Learned a lot through some bad seasons. Uh, just back-to-back conference uh, championships and uh, national tournament experiences. So just really in a, in a space now where our program is going to the uh, going to the next level and stewarding what we have in our hand after uh, building it from the ground up. So it's been it's been a process, but just doing that. And then when you when you're in that space, the school that I'm at is the the Things of God School in uh, the center of Central Florida. A lot of opportunities to write and to speak, and so I fell in love with just helping people understand the process that I've had. 
like one thing I always like to say, Colin, is I like to teach from experiential knowledge. So something that I've personally experienced. And just being able to do that, you know, people love to hear from coaches because we get loud. We say, yeah, we got energy. So I take advantage of those things. I love it. And I, I love vision. I think leadership, it starts with having a clear vision. So what's the vision that drives your program, that drives your like life? I mean, at the end of the day, um, and I've learned this by how I've, how I've connected with my alumni once they've graduated. I think when I first started, I'd say my vision was winning championships. And I might have misquoted the intro game back to that conference championship tournament, but we just went to the conference finals. But my vision overall is that my young men turn out to be great husbands, great dads, and give back to the community civically or in service. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the, get, the, the ball gets flat. And when I started coaching, it was about wins. And one of the reasons it was about wins is because I've noticed my teams that have won at a high level have been selfless, so they grow faster together. So the vision is to win with young men in the, in the classroom, on the court, and in life. I love it. And we were talking about having a mentor, and I would love to hear, you know, what you were like as a, a young boy growing up in the, in the greater Puyallup area, that what actually shaped you? If you think about moments, people. Yeah. Yeah, when, when, when someone asked me, you know, what was your kind of like your pivot, you know, um, that, that changed the trajectory of where I was heading. I, I think uh, Fred Kroll was a big part of my life. Uh, NBC Camp's founder, home uh, in Spokane, Washington, and the guy I talked to consistent basis. He was an older white guy, looked nothing like me, but he coached with a sense of love and passion. And uh, he ran his camps at a very high level, very disciplined, very organized. And I, I started going to these camps when I was 19 years old. I couldn't afford to go, so I would clean up the gym during the day, and then I would attend the camp the next week. So I'd clean one week, go to camp the next week. So I learned from Roger Smith, Fred Pearl, some, some local guys from the state of Washington. On the coaching side of basketball, it's a big mentor Carl Howe, one of the winners coach, winning his coaches in the Northwest uh, Junior College level. Just the way he was able to demand attention from his players because he built the relationship. Mm. Uh, and I like to tell people, yeah, you know, you. John Gord uses the phrase tough love and love tough. I think Carl Howe was a epitome of, of love tough that the guys knew he loved them, so they could coach them very hard. So those are the two primary guys. Uh, and then just spiritually, I've had some mentors in my life, in my life that have, you know, changed over the years that have helped guide me uh, to make sure my peace is not found in the round ball, but found in the right place. That's great. Now, yeah, that's really I, I like to really focus on, you know, you look at success, there's a few areas, but I think successful people have this drive. They have this hunger. Yeah. So what formed that hunger? What what drives you? I, I know you're a grinder. So where, where do you get that, like, power and that strength to just, just go? Man, I think growing up in the inner city of Tacoma and seeing so many people... Uh, have talent, ability, and no work ethic. Uh, and so their success was limited based on, uh, uh, on their desire to work on. And then I saw a couple guys make it out with less talent but more work ethic. And I think I saw that and realized, listen, I'm not going to rely on my talent. I'm going to rely on my ability to work. And then at the end of the day, I think, you know, you know, my personal vision is to, is to okay, have as much influence as possible because, I want to influence people towards, you know, towards the cross, towards salvation. So the harder you work, the more you win, the, the higher the platform, the higher the stakes. If I think that drives me, my wife, 
too is a very competitive person. And so when we got married, you know, she was a, an esthetician at the time, and, and she wanted to be competitive in her career. She's now a nurse practitioner, so she went from esthetician to nursing school to nurse practitioner, and now she has a clinic in, in Tampa. So just in our household alone, we just want to strive for excellence. And so I know if she out there working, and I can't come home and be sitting on the couch, and she's going to be like, hey, let's go. So, uh, hey, game recognized game and rising tide lifts all ships. Let's let's grind and rise together. Exactly, exactly. You know, we do a good job of rest and recovery, but we also know when it's time to put the grind into the grind and go to work. And I hear I hear you on that to rest and recover. I think a lot of like people glorify the grind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they glorify the hustle, but what do you do to, to to find rest? Rest is so powerful. I think for me, I've learned my first year college. We were 15 and 17. At one point, we had lost seven games in a row. I don't think I had lost seven games in a row in anything in my life since I was I couldn't remember. I think if I had lost three or four in a row, I probably changed my sport or found a new game. <laughs> so to, to be a head coach and lose seven in a row and to feel like you're grinding and grinding, what I realized is I'm not at my best when, my mental, when I'm mentally exhausted. And so um, if a Sabbath was created for rest, I need to take advantage of that. And, and so rest, rest for me is walking meditation or, or going to work out or going for a nice job, just disconnecting from things that I'm connected to. It's, it's very important. I also teach my players we have on our calendar in our, in our, in our, in our handout, rest and recovery day, where I know it's going to be a grind for classroom and a grind on the road. But we literally won't practice. And I tell them, listen, if we're on E and we're trying to get to a certain place, right now you're refilling your spirit. So we can go harder. So I'm going to expect the next day to be a higher level. And without question, every single time we do that, the, 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 the gym and the energy level is raised. And if young men can grasp that, I think as a, as, a, as a mentor, as a leader, I fell in love with men. The days that I rest mean that my next day will be better. And so now I'm competitive with rest, <laughs> in a sense. Yeah, there's some actually science about that. Sleep, about mindfulness, there's some good data on that, which is a whole whole new podcast. Um, but let's just dig into when you were a, an early coach. Maybe walk the listeners through who are striving to reach a goal. They have this vision of excellence. They're not quite there yet. So what did you do to get hired at that level? And, and maybe talk about some failures that, that you actually actually learned from that. You know? I think what I learned early on is a quote. One of my assistants right now is applying for a few jobs, and I told him, if opportunities is not knocking at your door, you know, and doors keep getting closed, we'll build a house that opportunity will visit. And the only way you can do that is if you put it in terms of work. And your focus, the best job you have is the one that you have. And learning, and learning that skill set. I think when I first got the job at GCC as an assistant, I, I, um, I looked at success as the level I will be coaching, not based on anything else. And so... I got lost in the shuffle thinking that I needed to be out there networking and, and meeting people and getting my resume and doing this. And then I realized probably about my second year that the only way to really perfect your craft is, I don't know the science behind it, 10,000 hours or whatnot. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to just be in the gym. I'm not going to network in a sense to where that's my primary focus. And I'm just going to be in the gym and connect with my guys and have such a close relationship with players. My gym is going to be the haven for Tacoma. Anybody in Tacoma that wants to work out will come to TCC. And we got that thing jumping to such a high level. 
and I put so many young men through workouts. The relationship really blossomed. When I got, when I became the head coach at Southeastern, what I had to refocus college uh, immensely and intently was uh, I tried to be the coaches I wanted to be like. So, you know, you got, you know, coaches like Shaka Smart who were, you know, vibrant energy guys. And I said, okay, I'm going to be like Shaka Smart. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then you, then you get to your roster and you get to your situation and you realize, man, you don't know what Shaka's doing behind closed doors to build the culture he has. So at the end of the day, you have to become, your culture becomes the leader. And so I decided that, you know, I'm going to steward myself. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to work out every day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do as much film as I tell my guys to work out. If my team's in the gym, I'm in the gym. If they're working out, I'm working out. If they're on the road getting games in, I'm watching film. And so I just dug my feet in deep. When I think of failure now, it's more like an opportunity to learn because when I got the job, that's the January of my first year when we lost seven games college. There was an opportunity for me to park right in front of the gym and go straight to my office and see absolutely no one. When we won games, I like to walk to campus and get the high five, right? Early in my career, that yeah. just felt good. Like, man, the head coach. And so there was a moment where I was driving to campus, and the soccer field is on the, the, the north side of campus. I would have to walk through campus to get to my office. And I said, you know what? We lost two games in a row. I'm going to park in the soccer field and walk through campus. I'm going to high-five the I'm going to talk to teachers like we just won the national championship. Like, I'm not going to wear these losses. Yeah. And it did it four games, did it five games. I was like, after six games, it's getting tough now. Uh, but here's what I learned in that. I learned that um, leadership does not have to come from your ways of losses. It comes from how you respond to events. Really and, uh, my, the, the very next year, we go to the Final Four. We're ranked third in the country. We got all Americans. We're 27 and 7. And I'm walking campus, and a teacher comes up to me. I remember like it's yesterday and says, Man, I didn't know that you guys made it to the Final Four this year or last year. And to me, that made me feel good because I learned not to wear my wins, and I learned not to also wear my losses. And I think early in coaching, we do that too much. Yeah. Because, uh, we don't change from a position of strength. We change from a position of weakness. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I've learned is to make sure if there's an opportunity to change after a win, that I will do that versus changing after a loss. You can lose your loss or lose your company if you're always responding to massive change after a loss. Yeah, that's really powerful. Now, you mentioned a, a buzzword, culture. I'm just dialed in and tuned into the word culture because I'm launching a yeah. book here in a few months called Culture is King. But someone beat me to the punch. <laughs> so not only is Coach Barsh a great speaker, coach, mentor, he's also an author. His book is on Amazon. Maybe tell us about the book, about why, why, why you wrote it and all, all that stuff. So it's, it's interesting. So I did a team camp for high school coaches probably about three years ago in Eastern Oregon. And there's about 35 high school coaches there ranging from guys who just started coaching to guys who have been coaching 30, 40 years at their local high school. And when I'm sitting in the room and we're talking to the coaches, and I'm thinking I'm going to spend an hour on X and O's and out of time out situations, and these coaches want to talk about culture because kids are changing and they still want to. They feel like culture is the most important thing. And I'm listening to all these different coaches, and so I went to my room that night and I, and I wrote down. I kind of audited my culture at Southeastern, and I said if I was going to tell people how to build culture, since these guys are asking me at my camp. And so I came up with a couple of different things. That when I did it the first time, it was only like three or four principles, and then I 
handed it to hand out the next day. And then about three or four months goes by, and a coach emails me and says, Coach, I have to be honest with you, I've emailed the last, you know, your, your uh, three or four principals to like 25, 30 guys. I mean, if you could add to this, you could bring some value to the coaching space. And so I sat down that, that Sunday afternoon and just put together some more principles that I really believe in, only speaking from things that I've experienced in building our cultures. And then I threw, threw the book on Amazon and I uh, have got more speaking engagements and podcasts based on some of the easy principles. The way that I wrote it too, Colin, is I wrote it so a coach can read it on the way to an away game and, and apply their principles the next day. Now, I didn't make it a long read. I made it something with a short attention span, something that coaches can read. My brother's a high school varsity coach. I sit in the book. I said, read this on the way to your game and let me know if that was, if that was easy for you. And get it. And I think I've got a lot of feedback because coaches, you know, we get so busy. Sometimes the high school coaches and the volunteer coaches become intimidated by situations as far as building culture that they don't reach for the big book. And so the ebook has hit them in, in a certain tone. And so uh, that was appreciated because I don't know about the bandwidth to do what you're doing now. Started writing a long form book yet. Yeah. Well, uh, what, what's the name of the book? And they can find it where? Amazon? It's on Amazon. Uh, the book is called Culture Maximus. In a, Culture Maximus. It's, to got, a, it's got a dope cover, too. I like your cover, by the way. That cover is, um, yeah, my graphics design guy was like, Coach, we got to make this thing for I real. might have so to hire he, him. He went hard from, yeah, yeah, you can hire him. I, I'll let you, I'll give you a info. But the, the graphic catches people's surprise. And then um, the book is, is only 99 cents. You know, it's yeah, not it's a quick read so, too. So maybe summarize. What are like the uh, culture keys for you? The, the the key that I that I tell people the most is uh, as culture shapes families because every leader wants their culture to have a family atmosphere in the sense of reconciling differences, celebrating celebrating uh, situations, having each other's back, loyalty and then building bridges to recovery. That's what families do. So when an organization says, oh, I want, I want us to be a family, I feel like it's those things. And so within the leadership dynamic, I want my players to understand that it's a family atmosphere, which means there's got to be total buy-in. And you can't have your guys go all out to the first spot in. And so one thing that said, we do is something called on the clock, and they won't put a chair in the middle, in the middle of the locker room. Uh, you don't get your gear, your name plaque through your not through your locker room door until you're on the clock. And we put three or five minutes on, and we ask we ask questions and we dive deep. And those sessions have turned into our alumni. We're like, Coach, how's the sessions go? And that's what they're talking about because that's when tears flow and people become close. I think the first thing in building your culture, you have to understand, and this is the first thing from from a basketball standpoint as a coach is. Uh, everyone comes in the locker room with an ego. If you can create a sense of vulnerability within your team, everyone gets better. I agree. So how how do we do that? How do we get kids to be or people, coworkers, people in our family, to to be vulnerable? It's hard to be vulnerable. It's, it's scary. The, the the way that the way that I we did organically in, in, into our program is uh, I'm a very transparent leader with my family. So my 15 guys will know things about me that guys outside our locker room don't do. So in the first couple, even in the recruiting process, I'll, hey, man, this is going on in my life. How would you handle this? Hey, did you watch the game last night? The guy yelled at his coach. What would it look like if you yelled at me? Man, we going at it. It just kind of creates, you got to have ongoing conversations with every single one in your organization 
from a basketball coaching standpoint, I know if you have 100 employees, that means tough. But for me, it was to create an interpersonal relationship with every single guy. This is how I judge the college. If I could walk into my locker room today and my 16 players and four coaches were in there, and I had an inside joke for every single guy, if I were to tell the joke, would only one guy laugh because he understands the context of the joke? And that, to me, is how I judge and talk close to my guy. Because we talk so much that there's something that only me and him can connect on. Love that. that nobody else can stand Yeah, that's good. And, and that takes work. And you don't just get to wake up and do that. That takes being yeah. vulnerable as the leader. Yeah. Um, and and, so, and um, for me, I like to say you don't have to be best friends. But you need to know your people. Yeah. You need to know you them. You gotta know your people. Mm-hmm. You have to ask questions, check in. It's hard to be vulnerable if you feel like it's player over person, or it's yeah, performer sure. person. It's person first, and then player second. Um, now let's just transition talking about culture, talking about leadership. One of the most you know powerful leaders who's written books, who's spoken all over the world, John Gordon. You've had a chance to, to, to meet John Gore and to connect, to work with him. Maybe share about all that. Well, I'll give you a short story. So this past weekend, we were in D.C. doing an event, a uh, three-day event. He was doing the power of positive leadership. And uh, it was a room full of people. Uh, John, phenomenal, was three days of eight-hour sessions. And uh, when we were meeting in the back, there was like six of us that were planning the next day. John comes into the into the uh, ballroom and he's just like, you won't believe the conversation I just had on the elevator. You know, a guy looked at me and I look at him and he's mumbling, he can't wait till Friday for vacation. And I and John says to him, the vacation is just a state of mind. And so he has a conversation in the elevator with, with, with the janitor of the hotel. And to me, that was very impactful because the reason he is who he is because he lives what he writes. Yeah, and, 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 and for those of you who don't know, John Gordon is an author. He's written so many books. If you go to Amazon or go to his website, John Gordon with no H, J-O-N, Gordon. Um, he's, yeah. he's inspired millions, so we would really encourage you guys to check out his books. What, what's, what is one of his books that is your favorite? The favorite for me is uh, The Carpenter. I can't, wait, I can't wait to read The Coffee Bean. You can pre-order that now. He'll send it to you early. But the carpenter is one of my favorites. Went into the locker room with Coach Mike Smith. Love that uh, book. Focus team. on the root, not the fruit. Focus on the root, not the fruit. Um, for coaches, if this is your first year coaching, that is a big one. I really like that one because he uh, he filmed the the workshop in my locker room. So he came down, we were able to work together on that. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and so just what 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 doesn't surprise me, but I appreciate the most about John is there's so many leaders who who write things they have an experience. And John started out, you know, as a Moe's, uh, uh, Southwest Moe's uh, business owner. He was in the, the restaurant industry, so he learned, you know, how to serve. That's where all this stuff comes from. It's not that he just woke up and he had it in his heart. I mean, he had to build a business. So I love people who do it on a day-to-day basis. And um, I've learned a lot watching him steward his life that way. Yeah, and you know what's cool about John Gordon? He's a very strong Christian, and he talks about it a lot you coaching in that type of university, how has your faith shaped you as a leader? How do you use your, your faith to be authentic? Well, I use my faith to be authentic because I believe the most, you know, the most important thing Jesus Christ did for us was give his life. And as a leader, if I say I want to be important to my players, then I want to give them my life, not the life or death situation. 
that gives them my life or give them who I am. If you live how I'm living, your life can be blessed. And be able to allow them to see me live that way as a husband, as a father, as a coach, as a mentor, as a leader. To be able to see my contagious energy every single day. To be able to see that my peace is not the wins and losses. Here's a critical standpoint of that question. And I can give you an application that I use that my state changed to call it. So my fourth year, we were we had won some big games and we lost some close games. And I found that in my post game talks, I was extremely emotional, and I was and I was tearing guys down based on the last three minutes of the game. I built these long-standing relationships, and I would lose a guy in the post game talk. So as I'm going home that night, I'm doing my gratitude practice where I, you know, read, write, maybe walk around my my complex, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I feel very upset with myself that I allowed my emotions to rule that moment. So then I decided, after praying about it, that no more post-game talks for me. So I don't do post-game talks. My post-game talks happen the next day at practice after watching film. So I walked in and told my team, listen, my emotional energy is not great after games. I'm four years into this. And so what I'm going to do after praying is uh, we're going to do our, 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 pre- our post-game debrief the next day before practice just so I can watch it get some critical feedback because I don't want to give you hyperbole and I don't want to just be emotional with you. Mm-hmm. You know how many guys were, came up to me and still to this day on that team tell me that conversation changed them in the locker room? That's amazing. So that was, have my faith guys in my decision. Because as most coaches will tell you, when I was telling them in the locker room, I was right. My assistant coach, you're not, hey, you shouldn't have turned the ball over. You got them for turning the ball over. That's not why we lost the game. Then I would lose a guy for two days. And it's, yeah. hard to lose, it's hard to mentor a young man that you've defeated in front of his peers. But wouldn't you say it's about ego, though? Wouldn't you say oh, about, one, one the biggest trap, no matter what your yeah, faith biggest, is, is like it's about you? Yeah, the biggest trap is no matter what your faith is, you, you, your ego drives you. So you'll do things, even if it's against how you believe, if it's going to make you stand tall. And, um, you know, all your ego can get you to a high place, and your ego will also be the thing that makes you fall. And so, uh, for me, you know, I put my, I never want my ego to be bigger than, than, than uh, the ethos of who Jesus Christ is inside of me. So if I'm going to celebrate who I am, people are going to see me and see the Father in that celebration. Yeah. I love uh, if I present or I meet somebody and I just have that energy, that gratitude, that service. And yeah. The, my, the biggest compliment after I give a presentation, I don't ever use the word Jesus when I'm speaking at a school or at, depends on the business, yeah, sure. I, I can sometimes. Yeah. But they're like, uh, someone who has strong faith is like, hey, are you, are you a Christian? It's like, yep, yeah. like, I, can, I can totally I've tell. Learned, I've, learned some, I've learned some buzzwords. Hey, man, you're different. Yeah. And I really, I really appreciate your humility. Those are like yeah. public section buzzwords for yeah. God is good. God is good. <laughs> yeah. So as we, we have a few more questions. I think Tanner is going to ask a few as we wrap it up. Oh. But on, on the topic of you being a humble servant, you know, Staying humble, what type of uh, practice do you do to kind of maintain? I mean, you've rise the ranks. You're a head coach. You're working with John Gordon. You work with guys on the pros. I mean, you do all this stuff, authored a book, doing podcasts. Like, what for, – for you to be grounded, like, what are some, like, tips? So, for me, um, this is a, 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 something I've been doing for seven years uh, – eight years now, is I will fast 10% of the year. So, that means – when I'm fasting, that means I'm in my word more. I'm disconnected from, from, from my social media. 
and I'm, I'm reviewing my habits, reviewing how, how I've done things, forecasting situations that may arise. And so I feel like I give God 10% of my energy when it comes to that for an entire year. Um, that's very important uh, uh, for me to, to stay grounded in humility. Another thing that I do is uh, I'm constantly in the summer, in the spring, the summer, working out professional players who give, who I give the green, the red light, or the red carpet to give me criticism when I'm doing something wrong. And those guys have no issue letting you know where you're failing in the workout or if they would have just something different. So I surround myself around people who are willing to help me grow. I've learned as a leader, you've got to have a conversation with somebody to say, hey, call me out if you see me doing something that's abnormal or against how I believe. If you don't have those conversations, people will feel like they can't approach you on your stuff. And so I have four or five people who, who will call me out uh, if they see me, you know, not operating in a way that is um, fortifying to my faith. And uh, that's important to have those conversations and to have those people uh, in, in your life. So what you're saying, I, what I'm hearing back, is like create your own, own little tribe. Create your own board of directors, people that you trust, that you look to, that you want to model the, their behaviors, their character, instead of letting random people, uh, a, a classmate you hadn't seen in 10 years, be a troll on Facebook, shape your confidence, or some random relative you never talked to starts hating. Because, because you're serving, you're giving, and they, and they, they feel empty, so they want to shoot it down. So have some core people around you, right? Yeah, here's how I look at it. Jesus had his three, then he had his 12, then he had his, his master. And so he didn't change his direction based on the advice of the masses, or even the 12 at times, but the three he would. So for me, I have my three, I have my team, and then I have the master. Mm. So uh, I Good. use that, 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 that framework for my circle with my three, where, and that doesn't include my family, that's people that care the profession that I have. So I'll have three, coaching three in my circle, right? And then my 12 is my team. Guys are leaving in the masses of the fans or the people who see me and say, hey, man, that was a great game-winning shot. Or, I would have done it this way. I don't take the praise to the chest, and I don't take the failure to the heart. Okay, that's, that's phenomenal. So th this is, I think, my last question before T-Money, <laughs> the future news anchor on ESPN, all-American all human being, the <laughs> voice of the Vikings, um, this show is called Master Mindset, and it's about winning the inner game. The first and best victory is over self. Mm -hmm. I mean, it comes down to that. So based on your success, your experience, what you've learned, what are three mindset skills that are most important to, to you? That you've shown been like the most effective. These three are my key three. I do something called the, uh, the mindset situation every night. It's really a situation where I will check my mindset. So that means spiritually that I grow today. I'm going to get in my word. I'm going to, you know, read an article on coaching, read an article on motivation, read something. So I have my spiritual bucket, and I have that right there, and that's my mindset. So how did I increase my mindset spiritually, holistically, as a man, as a coach? And then I have my skill set. It's in the middle. How did I get better as a leader for my team, as a coach, on the court, on the floor, did I watch film? What did I do? And then my third bucket is the reset. So I have my mindset, my skill set, my reset. And the reset is, okay, let me pause, let me close this day down, let me look over my notes, let me journal, 
And here's how I want to start my day with these thoughts. And then I would start my day with those thoughts. I then put my phone on airplane mode. I go to, I wake up, and I keep my phone on airplane mode for about 15 minutes until I've actually woke up. I don't talk for those 15 minutes. I'm quiet with my thoughts. I don't want to rush into my day. I want to be able to breathe. I want to be able to acknowledge people. I want to be able to control my atmosphere. So I turn all my notifications off my social media. I turn all, all the notifications off on my email. And when I want to go to something, then I will go to something. After about 15 minutes, I turn my phone on, jump in my car. Once I get to my office, I'll start responding to messages. And when I first did that, I didn't think it would work because I thought something would happen. But I've realized over four years of doing that, there hasn't been an emergency that's happened in those four years that someone hasn't been able to get my attention with my phone being on airplane mode. So some practices, you just have to be disciplined in your mind so you can do it yourself. Mindset, skill set, reset. Reset. That's really good. I love that. So... Um, me being a performer and this show being all about, all about um, the performance and being a performer, we're going to go way back to end this thing. So you going back to, I mean, you played basketball at the next level and uh, were, was a, were a successful basketball player. So what did you do to prepare for the games? What was your mindset coming into those games to, to be the best performer during those games? I've realized as a performer, for me, if I can calm myself down before I dance myself up. So there would be games. I remember my freshman, my sophomore year, y'all were playing Franklin Franklin Pierce, and I'm literally sitting on the bench, and I'm thinking, I'm not good enough to be out here. Like, what am I doing to be here? So then I learned positive self-talk. So now, before games, I would tell myself, and you put in the work in the summer, you ran the you know, you did the extra camp. You did the ball yelling every day. You got the shots, and you deserve to sit out here and play to your best every single time. So I would literally be having that inner self-talk with myself before every game. And I think that transitioned to me being this coach because you start to believe in the process of that positive self-talk. So preparation that way, and then just being a student of the game, man, you can't just expect to roll out and beat people if you don't study your opponent. So I became a student of the game. I want to study you know, areas I can be successful, areas that they may attack me in, and then make adjustments on the fly. I believe the best athletes are the ones that can make adjustments on the fly based on information they have inside. Yeah. Man, you, you just started talking about self-talk, and I, I got excited. <laughs> self-talk real, is so man. powerful, you know, and we don't realize how, how, yeah. how powerful yeah. that our that voice on the inside is. So no one talks to you more than you actually talk to yourself. So I love that, how you had that little system of you'd go back when you put in the work, when you've had success to get you going, and then you would not just rely on that. You'd put in the work. You would learn your opponent. All that stuff is phenomenal. Well, uh, Coach Barsh, we, we love you so much. We care about you. We're excited for what's happening down there in Florida, SEU, hoops. Um, give you the best of luck. I want to just acknowledge you for your time, for your energy, for your focus, for giving, serving today. Um, maybe let people know where they can find you. R.J. Barsh, and that's uh, R-J-A-Y spelled out, then Barsh, B-A-R-S-H. I'm on my social media platforms, the same thing on, so on Instagram and Twitter. Hey, and Colin, what you're doing with, with, uh, with coaches and young people being able to teach them how to steward their time, time management. I saw your handbook that you have students working on. Man, you're changing the game, and you're, and you're helping coaches be able to take, level, take their athletes to the next level faster. Because if they worked with you, they, we know they're going to come in, come into our program ready to go. And those are the kind of kind of students we're looking for. So keep advancing the game. 
I know coaches are listening to the podcast. Make sure you buy his book, buy his journal. That, that stuff is game-changing for, for program. I love it. So the last thing is, hey, I'm, I'm a high school kid. I'm a baller. <laughs> I'm a hooper. I'm looking to go, you know, that level SEU, what, what's, what's your little quick pitch to get someone excited about, about fire, the SEU fire? Listen, there's very few places in America where you can show up on campus and everybody's going to love you. It's going to be genuine based on the program and the culture we built. You're going to play in front of 1,000 to 1,200 people every single night. You're going to win games. You're going to win in life. It's going to be intense, but at the same time, you have a chance to win a national championship. There's only a few schools every year to have a chance and have the talent to win big. And we're one of those schools. We're in Lakeland, Florida. And if you're in the Seattle or the Seattle or the West Coast area, it's something different when there's a pool in the middle of your campus and 15 palm trees need to work. <laughs> Sign me up, baby. You if nothing else. <laughs> Sign me up. Hey, I just can't wait. I'm going to come down and watch a game. But, hey, all the Let's best go. to you and your family. Hey, I got your back wherever you need. But we, uh, we, we always end with this. Hey, the body has limits. But the mind is limitless. Thanks, guys.